Hey there, I'm Becky, and welcome to Literary Escapes with me, Becky. Today's episode is an author interview that I did in my membership book club, Literary Escape Society. If you enjoy hearing the behind-the-scenes story about your favorite books, you might want to join the Literary Escape Society. There'll be a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm so excited to have you here, Casey. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm happy to see you again, Becky. You look awesome. (laughs) Thank you. You got the background. That's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Before I jump into everything, let me introduce you. Um, Yes. I have the wonderful Casey Dyer with me today on the podcast, and I am so excited to have her here because she was the very first author that I had in my book club, and I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but welcome, Casey. Thank you. Thank you. I was delighted to be there, and I'm delighted to see you again. Can you believe we've made it through a year since we talked last? I know. It's amazing, and I can't wait to hear what all you've been up to. Oh, not much, really. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like everyone else. I'm trying to survive the pandemic and not be crazy. And yeah, so um, it's it's been a crazy year. You know, uh, uh, I had the book come out last year and um, that that's, was really hard. And I'm about to have a second pandemic novel come out. So I'm hoping, I'm feeling yeah. more optimistic with this one because okay. at least the bookstores are open this time. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, exactly. That certainly helps, doesn't it? Yeah, My goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. My goodness. So yeah, so it's all good. It's and all good. Th- th- I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, we um, we started the book club with 80 Days to Elsewhere. Which is so fantastic. Which was so a thrilled. perfect way to start it. And so I read the book sometime in November last year and reached out to you and said that I love the book and that would you, you know, do you do book club Zooms and would you join us? And you were very enthusiastic and said that you would be happy to. And the only problem was, is that I didn't have a book club. (laughs) And so so between the time that I emailed you and you said yes, and the end of January, I knew I had to come up with a book club so that I could interview you in my book club. And you did great. You did great, Becky. It was I, I really enjoyed meeting all the all the readers that you had managed to quickly accumulate. Exactly. <laughs> and and it was the perfect book to start with because um, for anyone who doesn't know, 80 Days to Elsewhere is kind of a takeoff on around the world in 80 days. And so give us give us your blurb on the book. Well, the thing about 80 Days to Elsewhere was that it was the first book uh, where I had this kind of cool idea for a fictional company called Ex Libris. And Ex Libris is a company that takes uh, uh, journeys from the pages of books and recreates them for their clients. And uh, so I just thought, (laughs) I thought this would be such a fun idea for a company to, um, to take adventures and and to allow people who have uh, readers who have loved a book to experience that adventure for themselves. So then uh, from that uh, idea of Ex Libris, then I I thought, okay, well, what would be the best adventure to take? And uh, I thought, as the author, I probably should do some research here. So, well, what do I really want to do? So when I pitched this book, it was, was, this was a swing, you know, a big swing. I was swinging for the rafters because uh, I just thought, well, the thing I would most like to do is, is travel around the world and retrace Phileas Fogg's journey. 
And um, in fact, uh, when I sold the book, that is what I did. And so uh, 80 Days to Elsewhere is the story of a young woman, Romy Keene, who's never left New York. She feels like she's a very cosmopolitan person. Yes. Uh, uh, she has friends from all walks of life. She lives in a very cosmopolitan city, um, but she's never left New York. And there are reasons for that that come out later on in the, in the story. But um, her family uh, runs a bookstore and uh, it's called Two Old Queens. It's a bookstore and it's, uh, it's uh, in New York City. It's, it's um, patterned after a number of my favorite old secondhand bookstores nice. that I have. There's one in, in Vancouver called um, McLeod's Bookstore where, where you literally, if you go downstairs in that bookstore and you don't reappear, they send a search party out because <laughs> one of the book stacks may have taken you out. Um, so uh, I, I love the idea. I love bookstores. I love secondhand bookstores and libraries. And and uh, and so Romy, who has um, who's got a, quite a bit of anxiety about um, dealing with the real world, yes, uh, uh, finds out that her her family is going to lose their bookstore. And so she, on a on a whim, she takes a she she takes essentially what is a dare and and applies for a job that will that will help her earn enough money to save the family bookstore but it means she'll be working for ex libris and she will be retracing phileas fogg's route around the world stepping way outside her comfort zone absolutely so the story is ostensibly like that's the starting point for it by the right. time she makes her way around the world she's no longer in phileas fogg's footsteps um and you know, the truth is, Becky, that Phileas was never in Phileas Fogg's book steps. Exactly. It's, everyone is pretty confident that Jules Verne wrote that book from the comfort of his study in Paris. And he didn't even and have Google Earth to look at. He did not even have <laughs> Google Earth. And so it was some, so a lot of his story was written from the point of view of, you know, a very comfortable uh, Victorian era white male. And so there it is just with... <laughs> When I pitched this book, I have to say that I hadn't read it since I was a child. And uh, so I had to, of course, read it again. And I was quite, quite horrified by what I read because because while the book was, it was considered science fiction at the time, um, because no one had done that. No one had right. actually traveled all the way around the world. And, uh, and, and the route that uh, Jules Verne sends Phileas on, including, you know, parts of India where he escapes on the back of an elephant stretch credulity to the absolute limit but <laughs> so for me when I was retelling the story when Romy is racing around the world and she's racing the person who is you know essentially her worst enemy the, right. the she believes for at least half the journey that this that this man is uh the nephew of the person who's trying to to finish her family's bookstore um, so while she is is on this frantic race around the world, the fun for me was to put to, was to put this more in a context of today. Now, this book came out as we talked about in 2020. Uh, when I did the when I did the um, the research trip, it was 2019 that I that I traveled around the world, and so essentially the book is sort of set post 2019 pre pandemic. <laughs> so it's it's. It was set in a in a time uh, that doesn't really exist anymore, right. uh, and uh, and so um, it was 
nevertheless, it was really fun for Romy to bump into some of the things that Phileas Fogg uh, dealt with in his story and, uh, and to deal with it in a more contemporary way. And essentially what happens is that the entire journey is a learning experience for her. And, and this is what I have discovered in the depths of my, you know, aged knowledge now is that is that that's what travel is it's a chance for us to learn it's a it chance really for us is. to see the rest of the world and and to see that people are the same everywhere and that there are that but when you take these journeys it's so important for you to do it with an open mind and mm -hmm. and so that was that was the fun part for me was to take some of the tropes that that Jules Verne had put in I'm quite sure inadvertently I do not mean to cast dispersions on him I still love his stories yeah but um but you know uh completely racist totally misogynistic hugely sexist you know so like uh that was the world he lived in I mean it was it was, it was. yeah and but um you know rather than um you know being making apologies for his world instead i i wanted to look through the female gaze i wanted to look through romy's eyes at the world and to and to make some broad distinctions from the the um conclusions that fog drew and so the the thing that that i had forgotten and that i think most of the world doesn't really recognize is that around the world in 80 days really is a love story because fog falls for this woman that he rescues from Satie uh in india and of yeah. course it, it it has a hugely sort of superiority uh uh complex you know in terms of uh the religions and in terms of how you know the natural superiority of the white male it's it's a little you know it's a, it's a lot to take but right um, but that is the way that they thought at the time and and so mm -hmm. it, it was really fun for me to take this character that he had that basically he you know he rescues this woman and hauls her around the world and then he slowly falls in love with her and then he marries her in the end and you know now that he's rescued her from you know yeah from her heathenhood or whatever it is it's just appalling but um but instead to have the character of Sumaya, who's who is the young Somali refugee who's in right. my book, who has way more agency. And even though she is she is put in absolutely the worst circumstances that, you know, she loses her family. Right. That, um, but to give her the intent and the focus of a contemporary kid, because the reality is that kids around the world nowadays, if they have access to the internet, if they have a phone that's hooked up online, they're going to see YouTube, they're going to see, they you know, they're going to see TikTok. And so the, these are the things that helped shape her and allowed me to give her as a character, some agency as, you know, as she, she had a lot of personality and it was fun to read her story. I, you know, she, she, I loved her. I loved her by the end. And, and, you know, when I started this book, I had no idea that she was going to be there. So, so, you know, oh she goodness, just, that's awesome. you know, she just emerged, right. And, and rightly so she floated up on her boat and, and then poof, I had to deal with her. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that happens for authors that you might have an idea of how the story is going to go, but the characters completely drive the plot. They really and do. They really do. I mean, there are lots of stories that are very plot driven. You know, those are the adventure stories like 
you know, the Dan Brown stories, things like that, where, where certain things have to happen. And then the characters are sort of dragged along for the ride. Right. But, um, but, you know, I find in my, and my stories have all so far anyway, and I think this is book 10 or 11, that's um, and is certainly, you know, probably 15 or 20 that I've written, um, but 10 or 11 that have been traditionally published. And, uh, and they've all been adventure stories, because that's what I like to read. Yeah. And, and, Every single one of them, even even these ones that have more um, form to them than any books that I have ever written before, have more um, because they're they are subject to uh, to an external factor. In this right. case, uh, around the world in eighty right. days. Um, even though those stories uh, uh, are so driven by the characters, by what happens, by by what they they learn, by who they are. When I when I first visualized Romy, I knew that she didn't want to leave home; that she would be very frightened to leave home. Um, but I didn't I didn't know why. And yeah. I, it wasn't until I was actually writing the book that I realized what had happened and why travel itself held such terror for her right. in her life. And, and, and I love brave- that she went out and did it anyway because it was that important to her to save her uncles right like that to me those are the those are the parts in my story that um uh the essential humanity of characters is so important because even uh and i think that this is important is that even if they're kind of a lousy human being uh the fact that they believe that they are the hero of their own story and that they are doing the right thing I mean Frank Venal in this book is just a terrible person but yeah. um, but you know like even Frank has has some positive to him by the end of the story and I, anyway that's just uh I know that real life isn't always like that but it should be and so therefore it is in my story well and that's why we read these stories because they you know not only takes us on a journey but it gives us hope for humanity, I think. And, you know, it, it shows growth in people. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you were talking earlier about how travel, you learn so much when you travel. And mm-hmm. if you don't grow when you travel, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah, <laughs> I, it- I very strongly agree. It's like, it's uh, it, the, the most important part of it is to open your mind and to, and to, um, a lot of times it means accepting things that you don't understand, Mm -hmm. even if you don't agree or understand with the choices that people make, Um, learning why people make the choices they do. Um, You know, this week, I'm particularly attuned to the stories of refugees that are lost at sea. Uh, And this week, there was a terrible accident on the English Channel. And what has all that I have read that has come out of this um, apart from the a few stories of the individual lives lost, which are so horrifying. But all that I've read is p- finger pointing between governments as, you know, as each tries to blame the other for the right. for this escalating crisis. And, you know, the the fact is that we live in a world where our borders are used as weapons. And mm-hmm. uh, and so a story and our where, freedoms are used as weapons. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And a story where the characters have the freedom to to travel around the world and to go through those borders and to and to each time a border is crossed, the mind is further opened. And um, even when you're in a place where I mean, I remember when I was in Singapore, <laughs> 
the thing that killed me about Singapore is that their entry documents, and I actually have used one of the entry documents I had uh, for uh, when I traveled, um, you know, threaten you with death. Like before you even step in the, through the door, they make it very clear that if you come bearing anything that is considered an intoxicant or a or an illegal substance that they'll they will kill you and so this is in I was going to say black and white but it's actually written in red print on their on their document <laughs> anyway nice. this is this is um this is not a point of view with which I agree but nevertheless it I still wanted to to be there to see it to see the the lives that people led for myself, it was the most amazing. It's kind of a city state and it's the most amazing place. I, I, it was fascinating because there, I have never seen a place where, um, where absolutely distinct cultures, very distinct are living cheek by jowl with each other and, um, and are encouraged to retain their own cultural identity. And that's pretty cool. You know, it is cool. So even though the choices that this government makes are um, are maybe not the best or not right. would agree with, um, nevertheless, it was still an experience that I would never, ever, ever give up. Yeah. yeah. So Well, the book is, you know, if, if people have not read that book, it is well worth reading the book. It was so much fun. The characters are a lot of fun. And Jeremy, the one that you think is the enemy at the beginning, you get to know him a little bit better throughout the story. And um, I don't know, it's just well worth your time and effort to read that. It's, I loved that it took me all around the world again. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, that's the, that's the, the joy of it, you know, is that, is that it's a um, journey that you can share together. And right. that's the best part about reading books with a book club, isn't it? Agreed. Then you get to, you get to hash it out and all the things that you disagree with, you can say, well, what about this? And what about that? And, and, but this part was pretty good. And <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that I do love about a book club is that, yeah, even if they don't like the choice of books that I've made, they'll still read it and they'll still give me their thoughts on it. And like you just said, you know, some of them are like, well, I really didn't like the book at all. Mm -hmm. And, oh yeah, this person was fine. And this, yeah, mm -hmm. I can see why they did this. And right. the end of the hashing it out, yeah. there's so many different opinions that you're like, huh, okay. Right, right. And it does, it, get, it you know, this is the interesting thing about being a writer is that as soon as you put the story down on paper and it goes out to the world it's not really yours anymore because yeah. you've written the story from your point of view from your you know the stories come through the filter of your brain and your experiences but when it goes into the reader's eyes it's not going through the same filters as it came out of your eyes and so uh uh what happens for each reader is different and exactly. each of them brings something else to the story. So, so that, um, you know, if someone has lost their parents, uh, uh, then, th then one part of the story might have a, a deeper significance Completely to them. Completely different. Yeah. Right. If someone had a, reading it. Exactly. If someone had a terrible, uh, experience in, in, um, Japan, then, you know, then, th then they're the, that's that's the filter that they'll read it through. So exactly. So, um, so I'm always fascinated to read what it is about the story that has appealed to people and what made them laugh and you know what made them cry and and you know my favorite 
part is when people tell me that the story took them away because that's mm-hmm. really what I want to do. That's what you want. So as an author, did it, were you prepared to have to give up your story and let it be something mm-hmm. potentially different for other people? Well, you have to do that. It took me a while to learn it though. Okay. It took me a while to learn it because um, one of the things I remember when I first started writing, I was writing um, young adult novels and uh, which you can totally tell when you read my novels, because they, you can, you can tell that I have an essentially deep immaturity that comes, <laughs> shines through, it shines through, but, um, <laughs> but what, um, but what I remember, um, the thing that used to drive my kids, I have two children who are now grown up, but they were small when I was writing, when I first started writing and I would drive them crazy. And they'd come home and they'd say, mom, the teacher's asking us what the, what the author intended and and don't they know that it doesn't always matter what the author intends it's what you bring to the story <laughs> these poor kids I love that were, yeah growing up with <laughs> this, only an with, author's kid yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right that's right so so but it took me a while because I you know I did have like, I, and I think you know where I think it shows the most is when you have someone who's written a book where they want to teach you a lesson. And especially if you're writing for kids, that is like the worst way to write a story for kids because they see through you in a second that, you know, Oh, drugs are bad. Yeah. Well, exactly. Uh, So, so it's better to, I find to let the story tell itself, let the story come out. And of course it has to be well-told and it has to have a lot of circularity. There has to be growth from the characters. There's a lot of, there's a lot of elements to good storytelling, but once the story has told itself, it's, you have to set it free. And, and because that's, that's the connection that you have with the rest of humanity. That is your root out there because they're, they can enter into the story and they can bring their own experience, their own take, their own filters to it. And, and that, um, that is such a point of connection. It's, it's yeah. very cool. Like, I have it has to have been in- hard this past year to not get that in the same way. Oh, it's been brutal out there. Yeah, Yeah. it's been brutal. My favorite thing is talking to people in person about writing or about storytelling or about like, not just, not just talking about my own books, but talking about, you know, books and reading and writing in general. I'm a a voracious reader. And, and so I love talking. And also I have, I'm completely eclectic in my choices. And so I just read whatever passes me by. And, and so uh, there, uh, I don't really fit very well into the sort of traditional literary book club kind of format because that right. literary, I read a lot of literary books. Um, I'm just reading um, Bernadine Evaristo's book, Girl, Woman, Other. She won the, um, the Orange Prize, I think, in Great Britain for its amazing story. And it's huh. just a, it's a series of short stories uh, about um, women of color and their experience in, uh, in the British system. Okay. And, it, and fascinating and really good and really, yeah, lovely, lovely story. Very literary. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've, I've also, I'm also like right in the middle of reading uh, The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman, which is, um, you know, a cozy murder mystery. So, like, you know, <laughs> both ends of the spectrum. Both I love that. Yeah, I love when you can do that and appreciate it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't really have much um, patience for books that don't grab me anymore. I don't know how... Mm-hmm. how about that Becky like if you it, like will you 
pummel your way through to the end. If, if I do not, you don't, eh? you'll I put don't. a book down. Yeah. I tried. Um, there was one book that was very, very popular and I just, I didn't care about the characters. I didn't right. care about what was going to happen to any of them. Yeah. And I had to not finish it because yeah. Yeah. I just didn't care. But you know and, what? Life is too short. I agree with you. Is. Life is too short. And also um, I can, I say that now with um, more impunity because um, I discovered I'm going to say three years ago now, I think uh, it was before the pandemic, but I discovered that I could borrow audiobooks from the library. Mm. And man, that has saved me a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. It's a beautiful I thing, do, man. Yeah. I have two big dogs and they need to be walked all the time. And so I'm a constantly listening to audio and, uh, and I'm a big fan of podcasts too, but I, yeah. nothing that beats a good audiobook, you know, I, just I agree. Stepped away with a, and, uh, and so I do, I spend a lot of energy at the library. And if I can just like making a pitch for authors everywhere, if you have a book that you really like, then you can ask your local library yes. to bring it in as a digital book or as an audio book or as a hardcover book, you can ask them. And sometimes they have more of a budget for, um, for eBooks. And so yeah. if you have an e-reader or an audio uh, situation, then they, then they can bring that in too. So, um, and, and that That's helps awesome. us that, that definitely helps some um, writers like it, it, because you can't afford to buy a copy of a book doesn't mean that you can't read our books. And, exactly. And that's, I mean, when I look for books for the book club, I do check the library to see yeah. if it's within the system, ebook, physical book, whatever, just because I know a lot of people look there. I look mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And um, I typically buy them in the ebooks so that I can, you know, mark it up on my e on my tablet. But um, I, I don't expect everyone to want to buy a, a book just because right. we're reading it. This right. And especially, especially for book clubs, you know, because then, um, I mean, there are some books that you have to read. I actually have, um, so I'm very fond of Ben Aronovich and he's, he, his series, the Rivers of London series, probably are my favorite books of all time. So they're kind of like Harry Potter for grownups. There's the story of Peter Grant and he's a police officer with the Metropolitan Police in London, but he's also, uh, you know, a magician, a wizard. He's a wizard. And, uh, and, and so they're, they're very fun books and they're written by a man who really, really loves his city. And so the city of London is like a character in the, in the I story. Love I love the stories, but I have his books. I have the paper books. I have the audio books. I have, <laughs> I have the digital books. I have his comic books. Like <laughs> That's awesome. And do you read well, them so. more? Do you reread them? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. I am an inveterate rereader because that's I, a whole nother. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother ball within game. the reader world is, mm -hmm. you know, do you reread books or is it just one and done? And, you know, there's, there's such a, it's, there's a definite schism. Wouldn't you say mm -hmm. like, the, you, there's no one who feels, um, uh, you know, give or take on that subject. They People either feel very are a rereader or they are not. Yeah. Right. Like it's one there's, or the yeah, other. There's no in between. No in between. <laughs> No, no gentle gray in there. And I, I am a rereader. My books are worn and dog-eared and, and you know, used for furniture. And Same. I'm going to have to look up that London book because that sounds oh, yeah. like it would be a lot the, of fun. The first one is called, well, you'll blame me afterwards because they're very addictive. The first one in the U.S. is called um, um, Midnight Riot. 
And the man's name is Ben Aronovich. And to give you an idea, he's also written for Doctor Who. So that gives you kind of an idea of the sensibility. You know, it's it's fantasy, but it's and it's funny and it's adventure. And anyway, I just I love those stories. And but that's an example of books that I have in multiple versions. Right. I have the same with Diana Gabaldon's books. You know, I have um, a ton of her hardcover books and we're old friends so like all my Diana books are are assigned well she's got wicked writer's cramp right now I'll betcha because um her new book just came out this week and yeah it's the first book in definitely over five years and uh and yeah when I last when I last talked to her she had 23,000 copies that were waiting for her to be signed at the poison pen so oh my gosh yeah, but hers are books that I have in multiple uh, varieties too. And also her books are narrated by Davina Porter, who's um, uh, a very good audiobook reader. And that makes such actor. a difference, doesn't it? Really a does. Audio. Really does. Reader, um, yeah. I have wow. been, this year I've been uh, sort of mainlining Anne Perry's mystery books, which some of which were written like when I was a child. And so they are, but they're set in the Victorian era. And she has two specific series, although apparently now she's working on something new now that she's 83, I think. Wow. Um, but um, she, um, the Thomas Pitt, Thomas and Charlotte Pitt, and, uh, and then Inspector Monk. And so they're two series, but they're set in Victoria, in and around Victorian London. And they're like, and Davina narrates them. And I've listened to the whole, both, both series over the pandemic because it's comfort listening. Right. Yeah. So, and it's it to hear something that's, um, you know, historical fiction, the joy of historical fiction is that, you know, that it all comes up right in the end, you know, exactly finishes. Right. So, so, um, it's, it, how how they get there the mystery of how they figure things out sort things out is uh, always fun yeah 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 so you are almost coming out with it's due in a couple of weeks maybe yeah yeah two weeks just about two weeks exactly yeah Um, the accidental odyssey Mm -hmm. and it's another ex libris yes it's another ex libris story that's right so um ex libris means of the library in latin okay and, uh, and it's, Ex Libris is um, often, you'll find it on the very old book plates that were in yeah. the front of books. And, uh, and so that's where I took the name from of the, of the company. And, and this next Ex Libris tale, An Accidental Odyssey is uh, about Gia Costas. And uh, Gianna Costas is a food writer and she's about to have like the best, you know, most romantic wedding ever in New York City. And she's heading off to taste samples of wedding cake from the best cake maker because she's marrying this very eligible bachelor who has swept her off her feet. And, uh, and she gets a phone call uh, and she, the phone call is from the hospital and telling her her dad has had a stroke. Oh. So she runs over to the hospital and it turns out it wasn't so bad. It was uh, what's called a TIA, uh, which is um, uh, like a like very a mini tiny stroke. mini yeah. stroke. Yeah. Um, uh, and so anyway, she feels a little reassured. Uh, he doesn't want to talk to her because he's got a pile of work to do. He's a, a classics professor. He's retired, but a classic professor at the university in New York. 
So when she goes back to see him the next morning, he's gone. And not only is he gone, but he's left his medication on the table. And so she goes storming off to the university. It's a Saturday morning. She goes storming off to the university to give him what for and to hand him his medication. And she finds that uh, his assistant, who she bullies into telling uh, her where her dad is, and he's flown off to Athens. Oh, my and so she's furious with him and doesn't get to taste her wedding cake and he's left his medication and he's so irresponsible and she's nothing but angry. And so just, she's just going to show him. So she hops on a plane to chase him down and give him his medication and what for. And uh, <laughs> this derails her plans for her wedding. It changes everything. When she gets to Athens, she realizes that her dad is determined to go on this journey to retrace the route that Odysseus took back from the second, uh, from the Trojan war. And he's, he's, her dad is convinced that he can prove um, that Odysseus really, that the journey really wasn't mythological, that there really was evidence that such a journey was taken. And, uh, and she is not in the least interested in this. And she has (laughs) a huge fight with her fiance on the phone and he breaks up with her. And, uh, that night when she's drowning her sorrows, she meets this extremely hot guy. Well, (laughs) when she's dancing at a Greek disco and one thing leads to another. And anyway, the next day when she discovers that the extremely hot guy is actually an archaeologist who's working with her dad that kind of changes things too so this Uh is a love story this is uh this is a family story it's a story about the the rocky relationship that you have with your parents uh and it and it's about how you know, even though you're there, your parents, they're human too. And the experience uh, that you have that Gia has in, in uh, chasing her dad around the Mediterranean uh, and still trying to make a life for herself because she's able to, uh, she, is, she has just finished her job as an intern at a, a, food, a foodie, online foodie magazine. And, uh, and she manages to pitch them on the idea of a Mediterranean journey. So this is a, this is a story that's filled with delicious food and, 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 uh, and also the fun part for me was the same as it was with, um, with uh, Jules Verne, uh, except that the Odyssey, uh, interestingly enough, the Odyssey, uh, which is of course, like nobody even knows who wrote the Odyssey, whether Homer actually existed or not, whether he was, whether he was like uh, the, the personification of the storytelling mythology that existed or whether he really was a blind poet or, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of uh, stories about it, but um, a lot of the stories that, that come out of the Odyssey, you know, the sirens, crashing the uh, the sailors against the rocks and and the giants and the and the cyclops and uh, you know that these store a lot of these stories were extremely fun to flip on their heads bring them into the 21st century I can't wait to see how you do that yeah and it was it was just a great deal of fun and and so I also have to say that um I was really lucky because uh, because there was a brand new translation of the Odyssey that just came out a few years ago. And like, this is not the Odyssey that I read when I was in school, you know, that I was, yeah. read. and it like, you know, it was like, it was like pulling teeth because it's kind this of slug through it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, it was, it was really good at least that when the teacher would, you know, sum up what actually happened. So you could, cause you know, 
Otherwise, you have no idea. No, the rosy finger dawn, you know, shows up quite a few times and, and it actually shows up in my book too. You have to look for the rosy finger dawn. I will look for but um, but uh, this new translation was for the first time by a woman, and um, and it and it's also available in audiobook. And Claire Danes does the audio, oh. and she is fantastic at this. And for the first time, when this woman, whose name is now escaping me, but I think it's Emily Harris, okay. Harris or Thomas. Anyway, um, when she she did the actual translation from the Greek, and what she discovered was that all the the earlier translations where they minimized uh, the women's roles. Uh, they they um, were dismissive of Penelope, who was um, Odysseus's wife that he left behind. And she was very patient and, and uh, you know, hung out while he was gone for seven years and, you know, was right. getting it on with Calypso. And, you know, like a lot of stuff was going on and she was very patient. And, and uh, uh, a lot of the way that we had been taught was the language, what was a, um, was mistranslation and uh, was in fact reflected the mores, the cultural mores of the time that the translator was living in. So, not you know, this, he not was, the original yeah, story, not the original story, which had none of it, which had none of it, which was very female positive. And so anyway, it was, it was That's really a good time. It was a good time for me to be reading the Odyssey again. And, uh, but my story is, <laughs> you know, I have to say, very similar with 80 days uh you know it is nothing like the actual odyssey it is although it it is filled with giants and uh and there is a there is a fight with a sea monster and there is even uh quite a slap fight very reminiscent of the um bridget jones fight between uh between two bridget jones's suitors uh in the water fountain that happens on the on the on the sands uh of capri so it was really fun to write because it dances all around, you know, trying to trying to get a real life uh, version of the mythical places that mm -hmm. um, that uh, Odysseus visited and including the underworld. There is uh, there is a very, very fun scene involving um, uh, some illicit mushrooms and the underworld in Greece that uh, <laughs> that was a great delight to read. So I and <laughs> so how other than like reading the Odyssey, how were you able to do research for where your modern okay, day well, characters went? Luckily, I had because I did the trip around the world. I fully had plans in twenty at the end of twenty twenty to go spend six weeks in Greece, um, but I wasn't able to because right. the world shut down. And uh, so, but luckily, I had been to most of the locations uh, on my my trip around the world. I okay. wasn't as, it wasn't you know the, as joyful in that I didn't get to sit and soak in the atmosphere the way uh, the way that I did on the earlier trip. But okay. um, I had been there, so I had I was able to use some uh, what I learned, and then okay. the rest was research. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that because there's so many writers that come out with books, you know, now that were written during the pandemic, and yeah, um, it, it's fascinating how I mean, a lot of people either like you go off of memory. Yeah. Google Earth, um, yeah. reading other books that you know are set there, that kind of thing. I kind of people. learned my lesson about that sort of thing. I have to say, um, I mean, apart from the fact that it, I love to travel. It is my favorite thing to do, and uh, I'm I was quite horrified at the fact that I was not able to travel. Um, yeah. But that, if I set that aside, um, I also find that when I 
if I don't use original sources for my material, I always make mistakes. I, you can't just take, you can't just go with what you, what is the um, accepted uh, um, belief that, that something is the way that it is right. because invariably you'll get it wrong. And so and somebody I'm, will let you know, I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. In my first book, in my first, and I had been to Scotland before I had written my first book, but um, the first book was, uh, is a time travel story and parts of it are set uh, in, in the West Highlands of Scotland during the Black Plague, during the first big thrust of the Black Plague. And, uh, and, and I got the distances between two towns. Uh, I got it wrong. I, I, Oops. they were really 30 about 30 kilometers apart and I have them about three kilometers apart and uh and that seems like a minor detail but you know what somebody wrote me. somebody <laughs> somebody knew that <laughs> somebody wrote me yeah so <laughs> so I try uh, there are always going to be mistakes right There's you know always yeah just because we're human you and you you know what you have to you have to just embrace that because it, like you don't want to mess with the gods only the gods are perfect right so so you don't want to draw that attention that's that's the wrong kind of attention to draw so so if you have a mistake you know i my friend um so when i launched the book uh which is december 14th so we're going to have a, a launch event on the 14th or the 15th and my friend meg tilly and i are going to have a conversation at the oh, time fun. Yeah, it's really fun. It's sponsored by Love Sweet Arrow, which is a, a romance bookstore in the U.S. And uh, they are, if you order a book from them, you get a big package of fun stuff because we've Ooh. sent them book plates and, and uh, we've got postcards and all kinds of fun things, bookmarks. And uh, uh, so um, Meg was reading the book and just texted me over the weekend that she found a typo. Oh. And so... <laughs> I sent it in. Yeah, I know, but I sent it in and they, so that it'll be fixed for the digital issue and for all okay. the subsequent, um, uh, you know, print issues. And so this is what happens, right? That's and, what happens. And it's also as careful you know, as you can be. And yeah, I'm going to have typos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. So yeah. the whole word that was missing. So <laughs> Meg Tilly's you know, one I'd love to have on the podcast. Oh yeah. So she's adorable. She is so fun. You definitely like have she to would just be lovely to talk. to. Oh yeah. I need to, I'll put you in contact with her because she's just a, a doll. And you know what? She has a new book out, which oh, is good. called the runaway heiress. And so, and Meg's books are so much fun. They're very Meg like, because, um, because her, her series, uh, the solace Island series are I've read that one. Yeah. Events. Yeah. So they're romantic suspense, but this one is um, peripheral, peripherally related to that series. So it has oh, its, it has its, um, like it's in the same world. Right. And, uh, and so it's, they, this is what has been the fun thing. When this book came out, I started at the beginning and read them all through again, because it's, it's really fun to, to see how the stories weave into each yeah. other. You can read them in any order. It doesn't really matter, but they, but it's, it, it is fun to see how they inform each other. And uh, the runaway yeah. heiress has, um, has Hollywood connotations too. And as I saw know, that, yeah, yeah. Meg has, you know, she's got some history there. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so it's going to be very cool. So Oh, awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to try to sneak in as many questions about her new book as I can during when we have our little. Yes. Chat. That'll be fun. What <laughs> yeah. was the, um, the name of the bookstore? The bookstore is called Love's Sweet Arrow. And it's, um, I think it's in Illinois. Hold on. I think, um, let me just see. 
I'm pretty sure that if you Google it, you'll okay. be able to find it. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, I'm going to, uh, if you just watch, follow me on Twitter or something, I'm going yeah. to I'll be posting all the links. They, we just got sent the, um, the, uh, graphic today. And so oh, it fun. just has to get approval and, uh, then it's going to go, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to happen on, it's a crazy time of year, but, um, December yeah. 15th or 16th, something like that. So, okay. But there it is. Somebody there has it to have is. their that's books exciting. come out then. <laughs> so <laughs> they got to yeah. come out at some point, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. I hope that this one um, you're able to actually travel around a little bit. I hope so too. Meet people and I hope so too. I'm going to go out and try and sign as many books as I can because yeah. it, that's the hard part to not get a chance to say hi to people and actually see people. You know, yeah, see humans. It's exactly. I mean, I'm a I'm a hermit. I live in the woods and, <laughs> and with my dogs and uh, I'm perfectly happy here, but every once in a while, it's nice to go out nice and to get out and, in the world sometimes. Yeah, meet the yeah. world again. Yeah. yeah so sure. in the accidental odyssey, where mm. all does your character go to? Uh, well, she, the, following her dad, they hip hop all across back and forth around the Mediterranean. Um, if Odysseus had been better organized, he would have created, you know, a, a more coherent journey. But um, they get to visit places like, uh, I'm, I think I mentioned Capri, because that's mm -hmm. where the, the fist fight happens on the beach. Um, but um, Capri is also where there's some very buff sirens that, um, that nearly cause Gia to take a uh, a very bad to meet a very bad end um uh and so um the, so uh but it starts in athens it works its way around to um to um the main coastal part of greece to the mainland greece uh, then goes down to hops across uh several of the islands uh so you get to sicily get to see mount etna we get to um uh we get into italy um uh, the coast of Italy to Naples and, uh, okay. and all around. So, so it's, wow. um, it's, it's back and forth across the Mediterranean. It's, um, it's a very fun, crazy, uh, uh, eventful journey where, where, um, lots of surprises happen, lots of twists and turns. I can't wait and, to read uh, it. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm really excited to share it with everyone. Well, that's so. awesome. Well, yeah. I cannot wait for it to come out and I look forward to reading it and thank sharing so it with everybody. That's and awesome. thank, thank you so much for joining me today. It was so My much fun pleasure. to chat with you. Thanks for joining me today on the Literary Escape Podcast. If you enjoy hearing the behind the book story, then join me in the Literary Escape Society. We're a community of travelers who love books or maybe book lovers who love to travel. Either way, if you need an escape, a literary escape, come join us as we read our way around the world together, one book at a time. Check out the show notes to learn more about the Literary Escape Society. And we'll see you next time on the next episode.